The following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. There's an Old Testament story about Moses, Moses making it, Moses and God's people making their journey through the wilderness. You recall the Exodus story. The Exodus story begins by God freeing, God freeing his people who were in bondage to slavery, in bondage to slavery in Egypt. He frees his people. Now, this, this is not only a, a, a true story that took place in human history. This is also a story that's symbolic of how God frees his people from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of sin. God frees us frees his people from the bondage of sin. And how does God do that? Well, basically, God does that by changing our legal status, our legal standing from being slaves to sin to being free from the bondage of sin, which leads to eternal life. That's what God was doing in this Exodus story. In the Exodus story, you will recall, they were they they had this the Exodus that's written about in the Old Testament. They exited the the country uh, of the nation of, of Egypt, and they went off into the wilderness as freed people. Now, look again. We're looking at the we look at this symbolically too, because this is how God what God does. He frees his people from the bondage of sin. So they have been freed, okay, from their bondage. Now they are now in the wilderness, the wilderness journey, on their way to the promised land. And on this journey to the promised land, the people were behaving the way they did in Egypt. Their behavior their morality was the same as it was in Egypt. In fact, sometimes you couldn't tell the difference between who they were and who the Egyptians were. Not to mention their behavior, the way they behave even in accordance to the rest of the world. They were basically out of control. They were doing evil in the sight of God. These are, they have been free, they're on this wilderness journey, but they've been, they were acting out of control. So what does God do? Remember the story. God calls Moses up to the mountain. He goes up on the mountain. And what does God do? God gives him a set of commandments. A set of commandments. These are divine rules that are intended to govern the behavior of his people. Notice that I didn't say to save his people. That's not what the 
these commandments were designed to do. They were they were designed, they were a set of divine decrees, basically, to govern the people of God. And we would say to make them more to, to make them look more Christ-like, to make them look more like God. These commandments, these set of God's rules were given to Moses, written on two stone tablets. Sacred, to, sacred to tradition, sacred tradition holds that the first tablet pertained to God's godliness. The first tablet had to do with godliness. It pertained to his people and the way God loves his people and the way he calls them to love him. First tablet. First five commandments. These are the obligations. The obligation. These are our obligations. The obligations of God's people morally and legally to God. And you remember the first five commandments. I shall not have any other gods before me. I shall, and I'm, I'm cutting them down. So uh, I shall not make for yourself any idols. Or worship any other gods. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Godliness. Now the second tablet had to do with righteousness. This pertains to loving neighbor. Loving our neighbor. Notice, loving God, first tablet. Loving our neighbor, second tablet, those, the last five commandments are, thy shall not murder, thy shall not commit adultery, thy shall not steal, thy shall not bear false witness against the neighbor, thy shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Godliness and righteousness, right behavior, right behavior. That encompasses the entirety of the Ten Commandments. Now, friends, we know how this particular story ends. What happens? Well, Moses comes down from the mountain after being given these stone tablets. And what does he witness? What does he see going on? He sees the people behaving in such a wicked manner. He sees them being being or, or committing the very thing that God detests. They were worshiping the creature rather than the creator. They were worshiping an idol, the very thing that God detests. God's so-called people were worshiping an idol. They were worshiping a creation that they created. Remember how symbolic this is, because I want you to start thinking about how we do the same, even today. Idolatry is an abomination to God. Idolatry is something that is truly detestable to God. Idolatry goes on today. It exists even among God's people, even among Christians. Christians established their idols, knowing better than that. 
knowing that God hates that, knowing that God detests idols. Today, we're continuing our sermon series on the foundational doctrines, the fundamental principles, the fundamental, fundamental teachings of Christianity. The question for us today is how are we changed? How are we changed? As true Christians, as God's people, how are we changed from who we used to be to who we are now? We are changed by God. We are changed by God taking action upon us, by God changing our legal status, our legal standing before him. That's how we become Christian. God changes us. God changes our legal status. He frees us from our bondage to sin. He does that. His word tells us he does that. They were given the commandment so they could be, so the, the freedom and, and, and the gift, the blessing that God had given them, that would flow into righteous behavior, godly and righteous behavior. God changes our legal status. He changes us from being sinners to saints, sinners to, to saints from being condemned to being saved. To be clear, our legal standing before God, before this happens to a Christian, is that of being ungodly and unrighteous. Being an ungodly and an unrighteous sinner, that is our legal stand before God. God changes it. We become righteous. We stand in the right before God. He changes our legal standing. Now, I don't want us to overlook that because I want you to understand that that is an action of God. God does that. Rebirth. and rebirth, we hear the gospel and we rejoice. But God has taken this action. And then from that flows how we behave morally. And legally, in obedience to God, we are all, without exception, in the wrong, in the wrong standing before God. We are unrighteous before God. Verse, verse 18 of the passage that was just read to us basically tells us that we are the object of God's wrath. Before he changes our status, we are the object of God's wrath. And we spoke about that last Sunday. So in order for us to be changed, in order for us to be saved, God must change our legal status, our legal standing. We, as Christians, are right, are righteous, are in right standing before God. When we stand before God in final judgment, he sees us in pure righteousness, godliness and righteousness. But how? Well, Jesus Christ is the one that does that. 
do. That's how he accomplishes it. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. Jesus Christ restores the ungodliness and unrighteousness of sinful humanity by perfectly fulfilling all our obligations to God and to neighbor. To God and to neighbor. Jesus Christ does that. Whosoever, whosoever believes in him stands justified. Justified, a Bible word, meaning stands right before God. And that's how we get into heaven. By the grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in his goodness. And by his grace, God changes our legal status, our legal position before him when we place our trust in Christ, the work of Christ. So there's that it is a God action. It is a gift that God has done for us. And we've talked about this many times. Faith, believing is not how strong you believe. It is a matter of how you receive just to receive this gift. Receive it. Receive it. It's God giving you this gift. If there's doubt, that's normal. We're broken. We're ungodly, unrighteous. Sinners who have been placed in right standing before God. And so what are you called to do? You're called to receive this gift, to believe. Believe it. He, just like, like it says in the Bible, the, 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 the man says in the Bible, I believe, but help my unbelief. As you walk with the Lord, your belief, your faith will increase. It will increase our lives god will not tolerate idolatry in our lives anymore he will not tolerate idolatry in our lives anymore we must live our lives in a christ-like manner no more idolatry idolatry anyone who worships idols is the object of god's wrath now, let's dig deeper into this. Let's dig deeper into what, it, what is all this idolatry talk about. And why did I just say that some Christians still worship idols? We still sometimes create idols for ourselves and not trust in the Lord. Idolatry is one of the main, uh, it, it is a major theme in the Bible. For what? ails us for, for what's wrong with us. Idolatry impacts us psychologically and intellectually, sociologically and culturally. Idolatry goes into everything. And we're reminded again and again that that is the object of God's wrath against us. The very first commandment. What does the very first commandment tell us? It tells us that God is the Lord God. He is our Lord. I am your God. And we are to have no other gods before him or besides him. What does that mean? It means you cannot substitute something else for him. He is the Lord, and there is no other. Our passage makes it clear. 
that God has revealed himself to all of humanity, even fallen humanity. After the fall, he's revealed himself to all of humanity to the point that it tells us that we have no excuse. If we don't believe in God, if we don't believe that God exists, then we're foolish. Humanity in its entirety cannot deny the existence of God, nor can we deny the natural order of things. And that's what our, uh, our, our passage is focusing on. It gets more into the natural order of God's creation. God created everything orderly. So when there's disorder, when something goes against the, the order of, of nature, so to speak, of God's creation, it is a sin. It is a sin. When you go counter to what God has deemed, it is a sin against God. That encompasses a lot of things. Basically, what that is, to, is saying is that we, be, we create an idol. When we go against the natural order of God's creation, we are creating an idol. We are worshiping an idol. And there's a lot of idols that we worship. When we go against the natural realm of God's creation, we are creating chaos. Think about that. Think about people in society today that go against God's created natural order of things. Go against it. Go counter to it. That's sin. That's chaos. That's, that's an idol. When we sin, we certainly dishonor God. We therefore become futile in our thinking. Our hearts are blackened. They're darkened. According to verses 23 and 24, we exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Those are idols. We exchange our, the living God, the God who loves us, for idols, idolatry. We're all prone to doing that. We're prone to doing that. If you don't think you have, okay, right now, it's very second. If you don't think you have an idol or you sometimes you create idols, you're deceiving yourself. You're always having to put God back where he belongs, where he, where he, where he stays. That's why we stay in prayer. We stay, we worship. That's why we read scripture. That's why we fellowship with other Christians to keep God where he belongs because we, we create idols all the time. And, but we don't think we do. We, we don't think we're creating an, an idol. When something captures our hearts and our imagination, and it becomes the most important thing in our life, we have just created an idol. We have just set something where only God can be. Any sin that we commit creates idols. Any sin violates the first commandment. <laughs> We create an idol. When we become, when anything becomes the ultimate, our ultimate concern, or our ultimate value, or our ultimate allegiance, when anything other than God becomes that, it becomes an idol. We've just raised it to idol status. 
So what are some idols? What are things? Now, think about, think about your life for just this moment. Not anybody else's life. I don't want you to think about, it. you know what? I know so-and-so. You know, he, he I know he worships idols. I know she does. No, no, you, you think about idols. Just for a moment. Have you said anything in your life in the place where only God can be? Have you put career there, family there, achievements there, your independence? Have you put a political issue there or a political party? Have you placed material possessions there or certain people there, certain influential people there, Physic, being physically attractive? Have you put that there? Have you put romance there or human approval or financial security? And the list goes on and on and on and on. How does that happen? It cannot happen to me. I am a true Christian. I really love Jesus. Well, it happens all the time. And there are many examples that we can think of. There are many things going on in our society that are, are nothing but idols. The people are doing nothing but worshiping idols. Look, if you think you have it all figured out, if you, don't, if you think you don't need to hear this sermon about idolatry, you're worshiping an idol because you've just put yourself above God and his word. Think about it. I've used this example, and I don't want to harp on this. I'm just going to say it real quick. People say, God is first and foremost in, in my life. He is, Manny. Pastor Manny, he is first and foremost in my life. He is. I just can't go worship. I've got other things cooking here. I, I, I've got other things going on. So God will understand. You just created an idol. You created a God of your own making. That's for sure. But we do it all the time. Oh, you know what? My family needs for me to take care of them right now. See, but you've made accommodations all week for somebody else to take care of your family or your loved one. You've done it all week. You've made accommodations for someone else to take care of your family. But now, all of a sudden, when it comes time to worship the true and living God, I can't go. I've got to do this thing right here. You've created an idol. You've created an idol. But see, the reason I use that is because it's near. I mean, it's near us. We can come up with excuses. We could create idols by not believing in God's word. God's word. We know it's God's word. We know his word is in the Bible. He tells us this. He tells us to believe. But we, we, he says, trust him. I just can't trust him. I just don't feel it. I just don't feel it. I don't feel like trusting him. I just, I just can't get there. You've created an idol. You are your idol. You have to keep God where he's at. You need to trust him. And then ask him to help your unbelief. Ask him for grace to trust him. Look at all the idols that we just talked about. Not just a few. But I want you to know, when we look at ourselves and we see that we're an idol factory, we're an idol factory, we have to be reminded, uh-uh, put God where he belongs. We've got, we need to. 
yeah, but look, I got to survive in this society. I got to survive in this world. I got to be part of the community. So I will make adjustments and God will understand. You need to put them where you belong. And he wants you out there, certainly wants you in the community. He wants you to reflect him with your behavior, your actions. God wants you to know that he loves you. You are the object of his love. We may tremble when he speaks because we're sinners. Of course we're going to tremble. But he's speaking to us because he loves us. He wants us to fear not. Don't fear him. Come to him. He loves us. We are the object of God's love. No, we are no longer the object of his wrath. No, not if you're in Christ. And that love leads us to changing our behavior. Quit creating idols. Quit creating idols. He calls us, God calls us to live this blessed life by being obedient to him. Be obedient to him. Live this blessed life that he wants to wants you to live. Yeah, but golly, he wants me to live this life, Pastor Manny. It's foreign to me. I only know how to live the life that I've lived all my life in sinfulness. Everybody I know lives the same type of life. And God is now telling you, out of his love for you, there is an alternative. I want you to live according to the way I want you to live, the way I want you to behave, being obedient to me. To live the blessed life is God's command for us to live a Christ-like life, to live a Christ in Christ-like manner. We do this because our status has been changed. Our legal status before the ultimate judge has changed it from being ungodly and unrighteous to being godly and righteous as we stand before the living God in final judgment. How does he accomplish this? Well, we just mentioned it. He accomplishes it through the work of Christ. You remember the story, another Old Testament story, uh, in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. The people of God, uh, like us, the people of God are grumbling. They're grumbling. They're out in the wilderness. They're on this journey. They're grumbling. How could we be taken? How could we have left Egypt? We don't have bread. We don't have enough water. Oh, and the food that God has given us, it's horrible. But at that time, by that time, God had given them manna, food from heaven, fruit of the angels, manna to eat. They were grumbling. They were complaining against God and against Moses. They were upset that they were taken out of Egypt to die, to die. Like there's no trust there if you think you're going to die if God brought you out. They're saying to die in the wilderness. So what does God do? How does God react to that? God curses them. He curses those who are complaining. He does that by sending venomous snakes within their midst. 
The people refer to these venomous snakes, deadly venomous snakes. They refer to them as fiery serpents. Now, they, they didn't call them fiery because they were red or looked like fire. That's not why they call them fiery. You know why they call them fiery? It's because when they bit you, it was like fire burning within you. Like fire. You were on fire as it kills you. God sends the serpents into their midst, these, these venomous serpents into their midst. So the people start dying and dying and dying. It was an epidemic. It was, they're, they're, everybody's dying. Everybody's getting bit. They're dying. They finally go to Moses and confess their sins. They're saying, they're telling Moses, we have sinned. We have spoken against God. We have spoken against the Lord. And we have spoken against you, Moses. But Moses, please pray for us. Moses, pray for us that God will remove these serpents, that God will take them away. We're dying here. So Moses prays to God. You know what God does? Okay, this is faith, okay? God tells, and you know, some of you know the story. God says, make a bronze serpent. Bronze serpent, copperish bronze. Place it on a pole. Place it on a pole. Please listen. And anyone who is dying because of these venomous snake bites, they are to look upon this bronze serpent on a pole, and they'll be healed. They're, they'll be healed. They're not going to die. Now, I would venture to say that there were many people who said, that's crazy. How's that going to heal us? That does, look, that does not make any sense at all. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to look at a stupid bronze serpent. Now, listen, mind you, understand this. God did not tell them to worship that serpent. And he did not tell them to pray to that serpent. He says, look upon it. Look upon your sinfulness. And you'll be healed. That was God's promise. That was God telling them that. He's, Trust me. That's faith. And so the, the, the people that are too intelligent, I'm not going to do that. Uh, that sounds crazy. I, I don't want to believe that. And, and Moses is saying, thus says the Lord, this is what he said to do. I'm not going to do it, Moses. They died. Jesus takes up that story in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 3. Same story. He takes up that story, and he says, as Moses was lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, people struggle when they hear the gospel. They struggle. They go, I just say, you know, we're just, we're just supposed to believe, receive this gift of belief. We're just supposed to believe, and, and we're healed, we're saved. No, I got to do something. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, who was an unbeliever at that moment, believe in me. You know, he's going to, he's basically telling him, I'm going to be raised up on the cross. And if you believe in me, you'll be saved. 
what he's telling us. That's faith. That's faith. It, it, it seems illogical to some of us. Again, we're not told to pray to the serpent, the, the people of God, or to worship it. It was to say to look upon your sin. Look upon the cross. Look upon your sin that would cause you to repent and to believe in the one who's up there, who's taking your sin upon him and giving you his righteousness. Wow, that's faith. That's how God accomplishes it. That's how God accomplishes changing our status from being ungodly and unrighteous before him, before he condemns you to being godly and righteous and standing before him and coming into the kingdom of God, we are to look to the cross. So what do you what do you need to hear? What do you hear? What do you hear when you hear all this? And you go, oh man, it's a bunch of nonsense. I, actually, I'm not really paying attention, man. I've heard the story before. You know, if you think if you've heard this story before, and many of you have, and you're just kind of shutting down, you're not allowing the spirit to work on you right now. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to work on your heart. Because you're on a journey in the wilderness of this world. You are a part of the grand exodus going to the heavenly promised land. No, he's not you're not talking about me, Manny. I already know all that stuff. My friends, please let the Spirit work on your hearts. Let the Spirit impact you. Let the Spirit change you and continue to change you, continue to change you. If you're in Christ, your status has already been changed. Your legal standing before the judgment seat is glory. You're, you're a part of the grand exodus. God has freed you on your journey to the heavenly, his heavenly kingdom. Now, if you're not in Christ, you have been bitten by a, you have been bitten by uh, the fiery serpent, and you're dying. Ah, but for the love of God, he has given your, us his son. That is love. Please understand when you hear the words of God, when you read the words of God, they can be terrifying. But they're terrifying because we're broken. We need to look at them as God's loving word for us. So that we can turn and be healed, turn and look to the cross and be saved. That's what it's all about. He is who it's all about. Let us pray. Oh, gracious Father, we thank you for your love and thank you for your word today. We pray. You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching His Word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.